Welcome to episode 369 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 369 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? Uh, top of the morning to you, Bevan. Top of the morning? Well, not really, because it's nearly one o'clock. Yes. This is, the, the lo- I, this is probably the Bevan's longest... Bevan's bitching and moaning that he's actually, actually had to do some work all morning. Well, I was just saying to John, because I'm quite lucky in that I get to structure my days my own way, and so I kind of, I try to work in three-hour blocks. If I'm going to work at a computer, three hours is the longest I'll do, and then I'll go and meditate, or I'll go and do some exercise, or I'll jump on a piano, and, and you know... And so I've been sitting in this chair since 6 a.m., since really 20 to 6 this morning, and it's now 20 to 1, so basically seven hours in one chair. Everybody's heart's bleeding out there. I can see it. I can see the, ga- the just blood just gushing out everywhere. Well, They're we've just... probably got another hour. Yeah, well, no, we haven't actually. We've got half an hour. I've well, got we go. really need to wrap this up. Yeah. So um, I'm talking proudly brought to you by... Coffeesofwai.com. Um, because it's good. Athlinks.com. Because it's good. Extreme endurance. Because it's good. Trainingpeaks.com Because it's good And SLS Try Because it's good, good, good Okay guys, in this week's show It is a little bit of a different show Because I'm actually currently in Australia Reading that book How's I was talking going? about last week Yeah, I was reading, reading a book It's yeah. good yeah. I'm reading John Grisham I'm reading a Grisham book Oh yeah, yeah He disappointed me recently But the one I'm reading now is really good I haven't read one for ages Oh, oh well, it's a Kindle So you don't have oh, I do yeah. have a Kindle Well, again, I have a Kindle But I don't really Oh, Belinda has a Kindle Yeah Did I tell you I had like a thousand books I could give you? Yeah Yeah Blinda might want to read them. Yeah. Uh, in this week's show, we've got news, and we're basically we've already pre-recorded all the interviews. So we've got an interview with AJ from Training Peaks. We've got an interview with Barry Sith from Boulder, the the voice of American triathlon. That's what we're yep. going to call him. Yeah, the vo- he like, like that too. Good, the voice of American triathlon, yeah. Barry Sith. And then we've got Sasha from Yoga Sync talking about kind of how to relax your mind. And then we've got a little bit of news, and uh, pretty much that's it. So first of all, John, quick bit of news, and this will be very quick, but tell us about it. Coming up this weekend is Challenge Rote. And they've got a title sponsor this year, I see. It's, it used to be the Quella Challenge Rote. Uh, and it's date, date, dative, or I, I couldn't, I, t- I tried to figure out what the sponsor was, but it's D-A-T-E-V. Looks like some sort of... Uh, Document management, sort of in German. Okay. Couldn't refigure it out, but some sort of computery type thing. Uh, but good luck to everybody racing there. It's going to be an interesting day at the office. Uh, last year we had James Kanana take it out in seven fifty nine fifty nine. We had Rachel Joyce on the girls eight forty five oh four. So it'll be interesting to see if we have a sub. But it, it's unfortunate, really, because a lot of the girls who are going to be here, or, well, Leanna Cave and Joycey, who are, you know, two of the best names in the sport. Um, I had to pull out due to sickness, which is a real bummer, isn't it? It is real bummer. Um, on the guys' side of things, kind of Torsten's ratings are kind of interesting. I've got to give Challenge a little slap here. I couldn't find on their website the pro pro listing. You know they used to be really, really strong in that Victoria. You need to pick up the game there. I went to Challenge Rote website and maybe there, but it wasn't obvious to find it in terms of uh, the pros there. But save the day, Torsten has come through and he's got the pro listing up there, and he's actually got Nils from Hold who is seeded number one, he's got an expected time of 7.56.33. We'll see if we can pull that one out because uh, he's not one of the big names, but the other big names sort of fall in line behind him there. You've got Timo Bracht, Cameron Brown, really big test for Dylan McNeese. You know, he's two from two, having won Challenge Wanaka and Challenge Taiwan. And 
with all due respect to the fields, this is going to be quite a big step up for him. Different yeah. type of course. And uh, I'm going to be really interested to see how he goes. I think he'll do really well, but he has done three Ironmans in one season. Uh so I don't, certainly don't expect to see him winning it, but I'll be really interested to see what he can do when he's not sort of solo TTing off the front and he's got Aaron some other... Dillon? Oh, I don't know. Mid-20s? Yeah, mid to, mid, yeah, yeah. Mid to late, maybe. Yeah. And so do you think he's got the, the pedigree to go to the next level? To Kona sort of stuff? No, certainly not winning Kona or anything like that. Um, but if he if he's stuck at it for a few more years, you know, top ten Kona sort of thing, I, yeah. you know, I think he can knock out a, you know, he's shown he can easily knock out a sub three run. Um, his swim, he's always going to be first there or thereabouts in the in the swim, and his biking has really surprised me. I didn't realise he was uh, so strong on the. Well, he certainly didn't used to be as strong on the bike, but he's he's shown that he's pretty good. So if he can keep developing that bike, then uh, I wouldn't have thought a top ten in Kona is out of the question. Oh, bring it on. So Dylan, you got James. Kanana, who's a defending champion, uh, Dirk Bockel will certainly be there or thereabouts. You know, he's he's a, he is a big time performer, um, and I think those are the main guys you want to look out for. A couple of others to look out for: Massimo Chiagagna from Italy. I think he could be um, somebody to watch out for. So certainly not the same caliber as field as what we see. Last week, and yeah, we're obviously out talking about Ironman Germany because yeah. it hasn't happened for us yet. But we'll talk about that in next week's show with the results as well. Um, yeah, it's you know, and and it, you know, if anything, you know, last week we were saying how the female field was really strong a week in Germany, and it would have been really strong here. It was almost like two weeks apart. You have two different strong fields in different areas. Mm. So it's still a good strong field, though. You've got Caroline Stephen, Yvonne Van Lurken, and Sonia Tysik from Germany. So those three there. You know they're all top five Kona. I know. Imagine if you had Joycey and Cave. Mm, that was mm. that was like Germany last week, wasn't exactly, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's unfortunate, really. So yeah, I've got to say, you're a little bit more excited about the girls race. There could be really interesting. I mean, you kind of almost ex- Torsten's ratings here have uh, Caroline Stephen and Von Van Vlerken expected to both come in at eight fifty seven, only six seconds separating them. But Sonia Tysik, uh, she ran through for a very good placing last year and. Kona from memory, I seem to think she got like about fifth or sixth or somewhere like that uh, in Kona last year. I yeah, think. She, yeah, she did so, uh, and then you got all, others like Joe Lorne and Belinda Granger. They'll be sort of nipping at their heels. And Marilyn McDonald's name's down on the start list there, so oh, really? she's uh, looks to be making a uh, comeback, potentially a comeback. And Ali Hollington, listener yeah, of the show, yeah, is yeah, racing pro. Yep. Nice yeah. work. But she Ali. says she's not that fit. Yeah, see, but I said, Ali, you're always pretty sharp. Yeah, so, so. Challenge Road coming up this weekend. Looking forward to seeing how it goes. Hey, guys, this is this week's news. Yes, it is. Nothing else happening in the news, John? Not this week. No predictions? No predictions. No. Okay, so Jombo, we're going to put an interview on. We're going to interview with AJ from Training Picks, and he's going to basically talking about how do you create your optimal race day. Strategies, rituals, etc. If you guys want to get on Training Picks, uh, just go through imtalk.me, click on the... The Trading Picks logo, uh, and you can sign up for a free account. If you want to sign up for the paid account, it's uh, use the code IAMTALK and you get a 15% discount. And uh, fantastic tool. I use it for coaching. I use it for a daily basis. Uh, you guys can check out my training files and stuff on Coach John Project 2014, and you sort of see the, the level of um, analysis you can do. You can keep it simple, or you can go pretty in-depth if you want to. Okay, here we go. Here's AJ. Okay, good friends from Training Peaks back on the show today. We've got AJ. We've got Johnson. lots of friends at Training Peaks, haven't we? We've got hundreds we're like a of part friends. of the staff. Mate, if they had a friends page, we would oh, have hundreds. We'll be, we'll be right up there. We'll be well liked. <laughs> so we're AJ, That's right. AJ Johnson, a former pro triathlete, uh, tri- triathlon journalist, uh, coach, yep. and he's the Training Peaks education specialist. So welcome back to the show, AJ. 
Thank you, guys. Good to be back on. Um, what we're going to sort of talk a bit today is about sort of race rituals and um, and some of the tips and suggestions you've got around that, and and also on how to sort of create a race day strategy. And this is a an area that I often really work athletes over on that I coach is to to get into a routine and get processes going. So it might be some uh, some new messages. So tell us a bit about um, some of the the rituals and habits that. that that you use yourself and, and maybe um, as a coach what you use as well? Sure. Um, one thing I always thought about was that I didn't want the rituals to become something that would be actually a source of stress. So, mm. um, you know, I kept it very easy and I kept them actually very flexible. So, for instance, one thing is I had kind of a, a stretching routine that I would like to do um, and some activation drills, but it could be that could last anywhere between three to 10 minutes. So, I wasn't really focus that it had to be this exact thing than this exact thing because that can I think lead to stress if you're not able to get that in um, so that was the first thing I was thought of and so I think most of the most of my rituals revolved around just getting prepared for the swim um, and so I like I said I would do a lot of dry land warm-up in terms of like arm circles and arm swings things of that nature uh, dynamic drills that would help uh, fire my core um, and glutes things like that and um, then you know I had a few other small ones that like for some reason I don't know how it got started but whenever I had a beach start I would always just before the start reach down and just grab a bit of the sand and rub it between my hands kind of mm. you know I don't know just I, I Something I just picked up somewhere and just helps you know. the grip for the water. Everybody does it. Helps <laughs> yeah. the grip for the water. I, you know, it, like I said, though, it was something I could easily do. Um, so just kind of popped up one day. Um, and and the other thing I think was that I also tried different things. Um, you know, I tried variations of the um, of my stretching warm up. Um, I tried variations like doing a five minute warm up, ten minute warm up um, with running specifically. And I think it's important to remember that the the shorter the event, the longer you need to warm up. Um, so some flexibility and you know trying different things is really the way that's going to find the rituals that work best for you. But overall, you just don't want it to be another source of stress. Mm. I guess um, I don't know from from my opinion for for Ironman athletes, um, the people often ask me, you know, what what do you do for a warm up? And I, I don't really do a great deal, but I think one of the key things that you mentioned there is is really keeping that stretching routine fairly dynamic rather than sitting there and doing uh, static stretching which is not actually particularly beneficial for you so yeah like um, I'm not sure how much Ironman racing you did whether you were mainly shorter course or, or longer course but you know from, from a coaching perspective what, what, are you, what sort of uh, routines do you get for Ironman athletes for, for their warm-ups to do? Okay um, well, I did 13 Ironmans between 2003 and 2008, so I've got a little bit of experience yeah, on yeah. this end. Um, and I agree with you very much that keeping things dynamic was a big key for me. And um, so, like, like I mentioned earlier, arm swings and arm circles, and I would do those actually even before any swim session. So it wasn't something I did just mm. on race day. So I think you know that kind of helped activate my body and get it ready. And I think people need to remember that on the swim, 
you know, all of that blood is being shunted to your upper body. And so you want to kind of have that blood flow, um, you know, really, really pumping. So, so when, you know, that cannon goes off, you're ready to go. Um, and if you have swim cords, um, I always brought swim cords with me or, you know, some sort of rubber band. And if I had a chance to, I mean, I remember Ironman New Zealand, I, I wrapped them around a, a tree and just did some kind of swim like motions and, you know, just to really get it as, um, specific to swimming as possible. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jay, can I ask, you know, like you, you, you talk a lot about removing stress, I suppose, you know, when we think about pre-race rituals, what, what is the real objective? You know, what, what, what are we aiming for once the gun goes off? What are we aiming to get to in that pre-race kind of time? I think you're really aiming to get to a place where mentally you're ready and prepared for that day. Um, I think the rituals, as much as as a physical exercise, really mentally put the athlete somewhere where um, you know you're prepared for that day. It, whether it's a sprint distance or an Ironman distance, and um, you know you're you're just kind of mentally, you know, you know that you are ready to fire up and you know, execute your race plan. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with um, the fact uh, I find for the warm-up and <clears throat> an Ironman, as much as you get, get the blood flow going and all that stuff, it's just a bit of a de-stressor in terms of if you're yeah. sitting in transition, just crapping your pants, waiting for the gun <laughs> to go off. Um, right. Just going for a five-minute jog is going to not really, you know, you're not going to use up hardly any energy at all, but it'll right. just help you to focus on a few different things. Yeah, and it's a, you know, it's a way to kind of get the nerves out of your system a little bit, I think. And I mean, you know, pass the time because you've probably arrived at transition two hours ahead of time <laughs> and now you've got all this time sitting there. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, just, just all about that right preparation in the last minutes. Um, so r- race day strategy, you know, I'm big on people having um, fairly detailed race plans, you know, and, and again, having some flexibility in there because things don't always go to plan, but but right. having a plan if X, Y, Z happens, this is how I'm going to react. So how do you sort of go about um, creating a race day strategy and then, and then obviously following it as well? Um, well, the first thing I do is consider the goals for the race. Um, and you know, sometimes if it's that, if it's a B priority race, you may be willing to take a few more risks within your strategy than you would if it's your A priority race. Um, and then I also, you know, the next step is to, to start considering, okay, what are my, what are my strengths and weaknesses and how does that play out in terms of the, the course? So, you know, if I, um, you know, if I feel like I'm a strong hill climber and I'm at a, a hilly course like um, Ironman Wisconsin, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to think about okay, how do I want to approach these hills? Am I willing to push it a little bit more um, on the uphills, and can I recover on the downhills? Um, and I I look back on my training and say, okay, given my training load and given what I was able to do in those key sessions, you know, your your long bricks and your long runs. Um, that's when I start to really kind of consider the the pacing strategies. And I think athletes would be uh, be wise to have basically kind of race simulation days um, that include a swim, bike, and run. Um, and then that way you can really it, it's it's hard to give a true strategy for the bike. Um, if you just go out and do even a 120 mile bike, you know, if you're talking Ironman, uh, because you're not including, you know, an hour, hour 20, maybe hour 40 of 
swim time in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so to give a truer accounting of what you can really do on the bike, um, I think is, is very, you know, you have to include that swim portion. Um, and, you know, somewhat similar on the run. I mean, I don't, I don't suggest you go out and do a 2.4 mile swim in a, you know, 90 mile bike and, you know, try to try to run a half marathon or something, but try to find it where you, you're going to be, have your, you know, race day legs and what are you capable of doing with race day legs? Um, and that, you know, whether you're using a power meter on the bike, heart rate monitor, pace, when you look at that data, when you pull it in and you start to analyze it, that gives you very, very specific, um, detailed data that you can use uh, on race day. I mean, obviously swinging this back to training picks, I think that's the, the key thing is actually going back and looking at yep. your data because, you know, you go out and, and say you do a simulation and uh, and you just do it to you know how you, how you feel you go off perceived effort and um, you don't really know if you're actually slowing down often unless you've got a GPS watch um, and you often you know it's just, just can be a bit misleading but you can actually go back and and then start scanning through all the, the data and, and, and often see trends like you know your heart rate drifting up um, whilst your pace is staying the same or your power dropping off as your heart rate remains the same so you can go back and look at all those trends and see what you see in training and obviously what you see in racing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can correlate your efforts and your pace to, like I said before, either, you know, wattage on the bike or um, pace of heart rate on the run. And so, you know, on, on longer days, um, you know, like a 70.3 even in Ironman, um, perception starts to really kind of get fuzzy. And when you can look at your watch or your power meter and you know this is exactly where I need to be and I, I know I can hold this to the finish line, you take a lot of guesswork out of things. Um, and again, that's a huge stress for a lot of people of what exactly should I be doing. And rather than having to decide off of you know, gut feeling or perception, you have true hard data to, to look at and, and consider. And I think the other big thing is it really helps early on in the race because, you know, I don't know how many times I hear an athlete say, you know, if they've had a, you know, had a bad bike, they say, I don't, you know, I don't know what happened. I felt so good at mile 40 or mile 50, you know, but you know, mile 100, I, I you know, was just dying. It's like, well, you've trained for a 112 mile bike. Of course you feel good at mile 40 or, or 50. Um, and and I think with adrenaline going, um, people's perceived exertion levels get a little skewed, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why you see people, you know, they look great early on, um, and then unfortunately towards the end it, it it comes back to haunt them. So you know when you have a strategy and you have hard data with that strategy. You know, early on in the bike, you can let a lot of people go. It's it's still hard to do. I know nobody likes being passed. Um, but if you look down and you say, hey, you know, I can't go over 250 watts or I'm going to get cooked, you start to let people go by. And I think people would be surprised at how many people you end up passing, if not on the bike, on the run. I think it's a revelation when people have finally you know, looked at all their data on training peaks and then they actually go to a race and they actually execute a well-paced bike ride and they get off the bike and realize they don't actually have to feel absolutely devastated and they actually start to run quite well. It's, it's like a light going off. Absolutely. And I think I see that a lot from people who aren't so good on the run and they maybe get a little scared and they try to try to really hammer it on the bike. And you think, well, you know, if you just held back a little bit, you'd have a stronger run and you'd feel more confident in your run. And so I think that's another thing is within your strategy is potentially following a different strategy. If you've always gone hard on the bike and paid for it on the run, the solution is not to just go harder on the bike. The solution may be for you to dial it back 
and give yourself an opportunity to have that great run. And I think the athletes need to remember that at, at the end of the day, your time is your time, and you you don't get to you don't get to show everyone your training peaks account and have certain you know time chunks taken off or you know certain mm. metrics accumulated. You have to execute on race day. Mm. So people always ask, um, you know, what, what different people do for nutrition. So what, what, what do you do for yeah. nutrition and, and iron distance racing and what's worked well for you in the past? Um, for myself personally, I had really good success with kind of mixing my uh, calorie sources. Um, early on, I would like early on in the bike, I would, um, I would have uh, like half a power bar. Um, and mix that with water and the occasional gel. But after about two and a half, three hours on the bike, I switched over um, and I was primarily gels and uh, liquid calories from then on. And I did, I did it in usually either 15-minute intervals or 20-minute intervals. Um, and I would get a, roughly about 250 to 300 calories per hour. And that worked well for me uh, on the bike. Um, on the run, you know, I, I would, that's where, you know, I think if your, if your bike nutrition goes well, um, your run nutrition kind of takes care of itself. Um, I'm a big believer in, uh, the Coca-Cola at the aid stations. You know, I think that that is, that is a magic elixir, um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I practiced a lot with that, whether it was cold and fizzed or warm and, um, you know, flat and, um, that that was kind of my my strategies. I I also the one thing I did for whatever reason in my special needs bag, I always had um, Jelly Bellies, and I had like different flavor, like the cantaloupe flavored stuff. Because you, you know a lot of stuff is like lemon lime flavor. You get the same flavors over the over the course. So um, that was what worked for me. Um, I think that works for the majority of people, but obviously you have outliers and. Um, nutrition really is one of the toughest things to nail down. Uh, I, I think I went into – of the 13 Ironmans I had, I don't think any single one of them went exactly according to plan. And I don't think any two were really uh, – two of them or two or three were pretty close. But it was always a matter of you know, constantly evaluating and, and seeing what my body needed. And I think athletes need to learn to listen to what their body needed uh, or needs. I know on my first Ironman in Wisconsin, I was just craving salt. And even though I'd never really eaten pretzels on the run, I just grabbed a handful of pretzels and <clears throat> it worked out for me. So, Very nice. AJ, just in regards to, you know, one thing we don't really address a lot, and, and I'm not sure if this is area you're going to really think about <clears throat> a lot either, but is, you know, how our different personalities can influence the way we race. And, and pre-race, obviously, like if you look at John and I before race, I'm a very social creature. I like to be around people and I'm very active and, you know, be socially, whereas John likes his quiet space. And I think one thing that we, you know, and, and it both works, you know, both ways work for each individual. And, and I suppose one thing that we need to consider is, is in our pre-race strategy, but also in the races, how is our own personality traits, what do we need to address to make sure we're successful in, in the experience we're having? You know, I think that's a that's a really good point that you bring up. That personality will will affect it. Um, I think that bottom line is, you know, you have to be willing. No matter what your personality is, you have to be able to make decisions on the fly. And you may you may have to you know abandon Plan A and move to Plan B. I know for some people that's very difficult, and they want to. Either stick with the plan, or they they're very afraid to try something they haven't before. Um, you know, a, a bottom line is, I think 
you know, the more flexible you can be and the more true accounting you can have of yourself on race day, the better off you're going to be. There's no point in sticking to a plan if it's not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes you just, you have to pull the plug. And I think that's another thing that athletes need to do is in their training is to not necessarily go with the same plan over and over and over. You have to have plan A, plan B, plan C, and you have to know specifically with what's, you know, whatever's available on the course, you have to know that worst case scenario, can I use what's available on the course? Mm-hmm. Um, and how does that affect me? So a, a great example for myself was, I particularly, Gatorade was not something that I was really able to take down very well, but I knew that if I let my heart rate come down and I took it in very small doses, I, I, could, I could use Gatorade. Um, and a few times, um, specifically, I remember Ironman Hawaii one year coming back from Javi, you know, you've got that long downhill, and I just let my heart rate come down 10, 15, 20 beats, took in a little bit more Gatorade, and um, that really helped me a lot. And I think my personality is one that lets me, it, it keeps me open to trying different things. I, I don't look for any single plan that I can execute every single time. I wish Iron Man were like that, but it's just, that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, exactly. So, um, we've talked, you know, about nutrition, about pacing, and, and obviously those are the two. I don't know, pillars of uh, getting yourself from A to B in terms of having the right amount of energy and making sure that you don't, um, don't blow up. But mental, mental preparation for the race is, is equally as critical because you may have paced it well, you may have got your nutrition right, but if you're throwing your toys out of the cot, um, then it's not going to go particularly well and there's going to be some, some pretty tough challenges to face as you're going through. So any tips you've got around mental preparation and, and uh, sort of staying in the right headspace? Sure. Um, one thing I, I personally like to do is I would go back and look at all of my workouts. I I just you know log into my account and look at all of my training peak stuff, and I'd look at the totality of the workload that I'd put in, and I realized that you know no one workout makes you, and no one workout breaks you, and so I could look back on you know three months or so of all of the workload that I put in. And and that, for me, got me ready to say, okay, I have done everything I can, and I've seen this workload that I've put into this, and so I know that I'm ready. Um, I think that's that's a big advantage that that athletes uh, should take should should use Um, and I also think that I I understand you know for first-timers it's it's a huge question mark out there you know there's so many what-ifs and getting to a point where you're you've You've decided and you're controlling the things that you can control. You have a plan in place. You know, you have your equipment set, um, those sorts of things. And then saying, okay, this is what I control. Something is probably going to happen on race day that I can't plan for. And I'm going to be ready for that. And I'm not going to uh, let that negatively affect my race. Um, I'm going to be able to deal with it and I'm going to move forward. Um, no matter you know whether it's you know a flat tire or your your immaculate nutrition plan isn't quite working for you, um, and I think that I think another part of your mental um, headspace is also have, making sure that your goals are in line with what you've been able to do. Um, you know if you if you haven't been able to put in quite the workload that you wanted to, 
you may need to buy, dial back your time goal. And I think that's also where process goals come into play. So you can say, you know, I want to, you know, I want to put out a solid effort on the bike and, you know, or, or I want to be able to, you know, I want to swim the entire swim without, you know, stopping. Something like that gives you a non time focused goal that you can think about and gives you something to work towards. And then at the end, you know, if I get out of the water and I've swam the whole thing, I'm happy with that because I've reached that goal, whether my time was an hour 15 or an hour 40, whether I'm five minutes ahead or 10 minutes behind where I thought I'd be. Um, process goals can, can be a big help in keeping you in that space. And so you don't get so focused on time. Um, and I think that actually the most important thing that I think athletes can do is stay in their own headspace and don't, don't worry about what other people are doing. Um, I, I think it's very specific to the bike that, you know, an athlete goes by and, and you want to, you know, chase them down and go with them and you think you're strong on the bike, but you don't know what that athlete is doing. That athlete may be not executing their plan. That athlete may also just simply be much fitter than you. Um, and you, you know, if, if so, then good for them. Um, but sticking to yourself and what you can control um, and being ready to take on the challenge of the day, um, I think, is, is the right space for people to be in. Nice. So, so any, any, things, um, any new things happening on Training Peaks at the moment? You got any, you guys got any races coming up that you're going to be at? Um, for us, well, yeah, we have um, obviously 70.3 Boulder is uh, mm. coming to town here shortly. That's going to be a big one for us. We'll be out there in full force and people can, um, you know, we're going to have our tent. You can come by, um, you know, myself, the, uh, the rest of the education team will be out there. So if you have an account or if you're a coach or an athlete, stop by and we'd be happy to kind of help you uh, with any questions you may have. If you're just interested in seeing what Training Peaks has to offer, we'll certainly kind of show you uh, all of the advantages. Uh, we'll also be out for the uh, Boulder Peak Triathlon if anyone's coming out for that. Um, so look for the Training Peaks tent. And, you know, I know it's a little far, far down the line, but certainly we'll be out in full force for uh, Ironman Boulder. We have quite a few of our staff here that are uh, going to hopefully get into that event. And mm -hmm. uh, that bike course actually comes probably within a mile of our, uh, of our headquarters in Boulder. So we're, we're really excited and, and looking forward to that. But, uh, yeah, uh, in the meantime, stop by for uh, Boulder Peak or um, Boulder 70.3. So we we had Barry Siff on on the show today as well, yeah. and uh, you know he he was telling us a bit about the course. What's you, know, you you've done? You said quite a few Ironmans. Um, what's mm -hmm. your analysis of the course for the Ironman course? I think I think it's going to be pretty fast. I know a lot of athletes get worried about the altitude and and things of that nature, but um, as far as just the sheer terrain of it, I think it it has the potential to be a, a pretty fast course. It's going to be. Um, you know, flat to rolling. It, it doesn't take you up west into the into the big mountains, so people don't need to worry about that. It is a, a pure time trial, uh, disc wheel sort of uh, sort of bike course, uh, and I think that people will love the run. There's going to be a lot of support. Uh, a lot of people out in force on the run. The bike course kind of takes you north and kind of out into these great country roads. So there's, um, you know, there'll definitely be people out there, but it's, you know, one big loop, which, which personally I, I, I very much like, but the run is going to have so many people. And of course this town is going to come out in force for it. Um, and finishing downtown with the flat irons and the backdrop, I think that's going to be, it's going to make for a, a spectacular day. 
Oh, we're looking forward. So if you guys yeah. want to check out Training Peaks, uh, go to trainingpeaks.com, use the code IMTALK. Uh, there's free accounts, there's paid accounts. I know from, from my personal experience um, from coaching and as an athlete, with the paid account, I think the key thing for me is, is being able to go and, and actually analyse different sections of um, of my workouts, You know, doing looking at different laps, looking at what happened, whether you faded, whether you picked it up during a lap um, or a different section of the ride. But I think that's probably a real game changer in terms of the difference between the free and the, the paid version. But always good to track your training and it's always good to have uh, some, some of the educational specialists like AJ on. So thanks for your time, AJ. Thank you for having us on, and uh, we're here for you if you need to chat with us again. Cool. Great, awesome. Mate. Awesome. Do you have anything you want to add to that, John? No, I think a lot of the stuff is, is stuff that I often harp on about as well, you know, getting those processes right for race day, being ready for potential things to go wrong, because chances are something will go wrong on race day. Something doesn't, maybe not go wrong, but doesn't quite go the way that you want it to go. Uh, I, think, just, I think the thing as well is, you know, like if we think of those stressful situations is is to look to, you know, because like John's very process driven and, you know, you're, you're very unemotional about the whole thing. Um, you know how to deal with, deal with it in an unemotional way. Mm. And, and you're of, often, well, I think that's a pretty good place for most athletes to aim for. But if you are someone who do find you respond emotionally to stress is to spend some time you know, in your training or, or to reflect on other times in your life when you've actually experienced stress, how you've dealt with it in healthy ways. Because you're in an Ironman, you're going to, you know, those moments are going to be presented in front of you mm. and you're so fatigued that if you if you go to an emotional place, it can be really damaging. And it's easy for us to sit and say, well, go process driven. But if you've never practiced that and you've never actually experienced what that place is like, you, you may not know how to go there and where to go there. And it, there actually is... It's, it's, there's some real value in spending time developing that within yourself. Practice makes perfect. And I think one other thing that AJ mentioned there is the uh, it's to go through your warm up routine a little bit before you. For an Ironman, I don't think it's quite so critical. You don't need to be massively warmed up for an Ironman. But if no. you're doing a short course race, you know you need to practice going through what your warm up routine is. As you said, if you're going to do arm circles before the race and you're going to get in and just slam it got to practice that in swimming. There's no point going and doing a 1k warm up in the pool and then slamming out a 1k time trial if you're going to be getting ready for a race where you're not going to get any warm-up whatsoever. So well, the other thing to think about as well, and what, what I really liked about his, his interview was he's saying, you know, it's about no stress. And, you know, like those, those are the obvious things of nervousness before the race, you know, being organised. If you're a bit disorganised, it's going to create stress that you don't need before the race. But also, you know, like if you've got kids, you know, like your kids can create stress for you before a race and, you know, when you wake up in the morning. So how do you create strategies so that you can, you know, be there for your kids? Cause you, oh, well, no, you don't take your kids to races. <laughs> well, okay, but let's say you do because a lot of people have to, you know, you know, how do you create a strategy that, you know, acknowledges the kids, give them a bit of love because you want to, have them be a part of your experience but at the same time you know then shift them away when you can actually start to focus on your race it's all those little things that just helps to make your day go smoother or don't take your kids along <laughs> okay fair enough do you think you ever take your kids to a race uh, it's, it's not so much about me it's whether Belinda will take them because at, at the age that they're at they, they, managing them for that length of time is, is fairly challenging my parents looked after Tyler when I died I mean she was only five I think mm. Even when I did Hawaii but it's, it's been saying that it's not as hard as an Ironman because you, you watch the swim, you go you occupy them to the runtime, and then you run past them twice. You know, it's probably not that bad. Um, you can look after our kids then. <laughs> okay. Come up to Taupo, look after our kids. <laughs> oh, sponsor.
Extreme endurance. Okay, well, we're going to talk about extreme vital. What's that about, John? Uh, I'm just trying to pull my page up, Bevan. I'm just going to find my way through. Okay, well, um, whether prepping or competing a marathon, completing a triathlon, or doing extended workouts of any intensity, all of these can stress your immune system enough to make you ill. In fact, research suggests that marathoners are six times more likely to become ill following the six 26-mile races than the average person in the street. Instead of flummoxing around um, in your cupboard uh, through endless bottles of supplements in your health regime, wouldn't it be nice just to have one complete nutrition product in one bottle? How about taking just three soft capsules twice a day instead of lining up a bottle after bottle and taking a handful of hand-compressed, hard-compressed vitamins and mineral hard salt tablets. Think about the money you would save. Have one powerful formula in one bottle. Extreme Immune Boost is your nutrition store and Immune Boost in a bottle. There you go. This is more so for you Kiwis and Aussies who are going through winter. Obviously, staying healthy during summer is, is critical, but you're a lot more vulnerable during the winter months uh, when it's cold and crappy outside. Forty-four ninety for a pack. You get the code IAMTALK. Not IAMTALK.me. Uh, IAMTALK5. You get five bucks off your delivery and stay healthy this winter. So check it out on xendurance.com for the extreme immune boost. And if you do it wisely, you can order that and your Xendurance at the same time. So you're going to get a couple of products exactly. at the same time. Okay, we've got our next, we've got the, the, the voice of American, of the US or American? We say American, eh? Either or. A voice of American triathlon. Yeah. Barry Sith. Good man he is. And here we go. Okay, here's Barry right now. On this week's show, we've got a man we've had several times. Good before. friend of the show, John. Good friend of the show. Good friend uh, of the show. Race director, multi-talented man, vice president of the USA Board of Triathlon uh, directors, directors of the Hits Running Festivals, um, and Boulder residents. So, welcome back to the show, Barry Surf. Good to be with you guys always. Good. Oh, he's got all the right answers too. That's the key. <laughs> I guess um, you know for. Uh, a lot of news going on in Ironman the last few weeks, and um, when this show comes out, uh, it'll week. be next week on the. Seventh, well, if you're listening to this, it'll be coming out right now. Yeah, yeah exactly. um, But obviously, big announcement for you guys in Boulder has been the announcement of, uh, of the Ironman. So, give us a bit of uh, you know insight of what's news locally. You know how people are reacting to this. Are excited about it? Are people um, in the non-triathlon community haven't really heard about it? What's what's the news like? Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of excitement. Um, you know, it was front page, big, big front page headlines of the paper for a couple of days. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we had the USA Pro Cycling Challenge here last year, as you might remember, and I actually was chairman of that for Boulder. And uh, it didn't get anywhere near, in, in my opinion, the front page blast that Iron Man got. So, Tremendous support. Um, this city has been a tough city uh, to do events in. It has a tough reputation, and this thing just flew through the city council and the city manager, and it's gotten a tremendous amount of support, great interest, and there is not a triathlete within 100 miles of Boulder, Colorado, who's not waiting for uh, sign-up day, I can tell you that. Very well. Why do you think the city was so much more in favor of putting on an Ironman race when they're so adverse to it normally? Yeah, I, I think that Ironman's done a really good job of establishing themselves here after they bought what were my races. You know, I owned all the triathlons here in Boulder, and they, you know, I sold it to Ironman in 2009. And uh, they've done a really nice job uh, enamoring themselves with the city. Uh, I think Dave Kristen, the race director, has done a tremendous job paving the way for a course that really doesn't 
affect the city that that much. I mean, it's it's not like New York where they called it the New York Iron Man and it was all in New Jersey. Um, this is you know this is going to really have a Boulder presence, but the bike course doesn't go you know goes outside of Boulder for ninety percent of it, maybe ninety five percent of it. Boulder proper. So the impact on the city itself is not that great. And, and that was brilliant on the part of uh, Dave and, and, and Iron Man, in my opinion. So, so tell us a bit about the course, because uh, I guess people, you know, they know you're, you're, you're up there and there's mountains all around the place. And uh, so tell us, you know, um, how challenging the course is likely to be on, it, it, on both the bike and run. It's not that tough. I mean, it really isn't. Um, you know, obviously, you guys have already talked about uh, the altitude, I know you've heard heard you from last week or the week before talking, a couple weeks ago, talking about the altitude. And, yeah, I mean, you know, there's altitude here. But the the bike course is, is uh, nice. Uh, there is one steep hill at about, I don't know, 35, 40 miles. It's out to Carter Lake, which is a very, very, very popular, probably the second most popular ride, maybe the first most popular ride around here. Mm-hmm. Pretty steep climb, maybe, uh, I don't know, 600 feet or so. Uh, and then a very steep descent off of it. But other than that, uh, it's it's not a, an extremely challenging course. It's a scenic course. It goes out in the countryside. Mm-hmm. When you come back toward Boulder, you're going to be facing the absolutely beautiful mountains. The views will be spectacular. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's a nice, you know, one loop, which, again, was a little bit of a surprise to me. But, um, you know, they pulled a one-loop a one loop course uh, going out into three counties. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a fairly, in fact, a very good friend of mine wrote it this weekend. He called me this morning to tell me about it and he, he raved about it, found the roads to be really nice. The surfaces are really nice. And, um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a nice course. Some long, long rolling kind of hills, but not, not mountains, not steep, just yeah. kind of long rolling. That's all. Yeah. And, and what about the run? Yeah, the run, I haven't looked that much at the run. I know it's on the, uh what they call the Boulder Creek path here. Um, and a lot of the locals, including myself, were a little skeptical of that because, you know, it's a fairly well-traveled local kind of running, biking, skateboarding, um, homeless hangout path. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that was a little weird, but but I think it's going to work. You know, Dave said, you know, it's 10 feet wide at the narrowest section, so it's doable. Uh, it, that's probably the most, um, interesting, I would say. I mean, again, that keeps it off the city streets. So the city was great with that. Yeah. It's a two looper, but, but again, no hill. I mean, it's not hilly whatsoever, whatsoever. I so, mean, yeah. Barry, you know, a few weeks ago, I was just mentioning the timing seems to kind of maybe cancel out some of the elite guys tuning up. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I heard you guys talking about that. I wasn't quite sure what you were what you were saying about it, I think the August 4th date is probably really good. Okay. Um, you know, it's hot here. I will tell you it's very warm, very warm. Um, and that, you know, that's an issue. Uh, and I mean warm. Yep. Because of the altitude, it's even hotter when it's, you know, 80 or 85 degrees here. Uh, that's the pop. That's the date that we always held our long course triathlon, the 70.3 now. And it was always a, a very hot day, not much shade. Although there's going to be a lot more shade on this run course um, than than what we had out at the Boulder Reservoir, but I think the date's really good. Of course, for the locals, it's really good because you know we've, we're going to have the uh, the Boulder Peak a month before it. We'll have the seventy point three a couple months before it. So it's a nice build up. The people living here are going to have a 
You know, that's that's the thing. What, what Jody and I started, you know, eight or nine or ten years ago with our series uh, has become really popular, and, and people are going to be able to sign up for the Boulder Peak, the the seventy point three, and the Ironman as a package the day before it goes out for general entry. My concern would be if you're sitting over in uh, Auckland or Christchurch or somewhere, you know, you're probably not going to be signing up for all three races. And mm. it'd be interesting to see how many slots go that first day with the three races. I haven't heard much discussion about that. It's going to uh, be a fair whack of money when you're entering three races on one transaction. Yeah, I reckon. <laughs> I think it's about $1,050. It's actually a good deal. Yeah. I mean, seriously, when I think I think you end up getting the Boulder Peak for almost free, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's the talk of the town. There's no doubt about it. So I, I guess you know, and, and you've already alluded to this. One area of feedback I've had, and I've never, and I haven't raced any long course at, at altitude, but I've, I've raced. Oh. Um, I did a, what did I do? I think I did an Olympic distance once at Flagstaff, and um, and my feeling around the altitude side of things is for for an Olympic and a half. Um, yeah, it makes an impact, but I'm, I'm really curious to see how it impacts people coming from sea level for for an Ironman. So I guess my question is. Um, in your experience with when you used to run the the, the seventy point three or the half Ironman there, you know how how did people find it when they came up from sea level to do that race, or did you not have a lot of people doing that? We did have a lot of people doing it, and my whenever I got question, you know, every year I get calls and emails and asking me about altitude and what the impact is, and I always use the same example. It's probably not a great one, but I think it, it it's okay. Remember David Thompson, the great. You know, great cyclist from Minnesota. He's a seventy point three guy, whatever. Mm-hmm. He he came here the night, the day before our seventy point three, our half Ironman, and um, from Minnesota, which is sea level. Day before, his bike didn't arrive till about four o'clock or three o'clock in the morning. Lars Penanger, you may know that name. Lars set it up for him. He went out and broke the course record on the bike. Bike course record. I think he rode the 56 miles, and I know he did, in 201. Yeah. Um, at altitude, uh, coming from Minnesota. So, you know, I know that I did the first Boulder Peak coming from Omaha, Nebraska, years and years ago. My best Pikes Peak marathon was, you know, running to 14,000 feet was coming from Nebraska at sea level. So I think everybody operates differently when it comes to altitude. Um, I think we'll see, you know, we'll get a feel for it, unfortunately, a little bit too late with what happens at Tahoe. Yeah. I think Tahoe will be more dramatic. Tahoe is not only a higher uh, altitude, um, the water will be colder and a uh, uh, much hillier course. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll wait and see what happens on that one. Just, just what, what kind of profile do you think they'll attract? Oh, I think the profile will be amazing. Really? Um, yeah, I would think, you know, you, you know one would think. Um, like you guys commented, when you look at who lives here and who trains on these roads all the time, mm. and it's going to be a seventy-five thousand dollar, probably a two thousand. I would guess a two thousand point. I don't know if they've announced that yet, but mm. I'm, I'm guessing two thousand points. So that's pretty good points. Um, ultimately, obviously, I would hope it would become you know one of the regional championships. But yeah, I would think you'd get a pretty darn good. I mean, August four seems to be seems to me to be a good date, but. I guess it might be arguable. Just, just lastly, Barry, do you like you know, like, will it, do you think it will become an event? You know, like, you know, if we look at the iconic races, the, the, the big crowds. Do you think that it will become an event that has big, massive crowds as well as spectators? Well, not on the bike course. 
you know, this bike course goes way out into the country. I can't even imagine many spectators out there. Uh, yeah, the run course, because it's right in town on a bike path. Uh, yeah, I think I think the spectators will be pretty big. And I think the finish is going to be uh, right in the center of town, which will be, I think it will be like the Pro Cycling Challenge. I mean, we had five and six deep crowds all right. along the road so yeah I, I and people want to come see you know like like you said i mean you want to people who've never been to boulder will want to come see boulder now do i i do have a trivia question for you guys though oh, here we go this is not the first full distance iron man in boulder really is an iron man or just a full distance long distance race? well the full distance long the first 54 30 triathlon was a full distance 140.6 mile race. Oh, really? uh, it, but the bigger the bigger uh, trivia question, it, it was in August of 2001, it was the first 5430, and Scott Molina finished third. Oh. <laughs> what, in what year? 2001. Oh, goodness, he must have. Scott, he was 41 years old, he did a 934, and my teammate from Timex, the Timex team, Denny Meeker, did a 914. Yeah, and so it, it lasted two years. That was it because it only got a couple hundred people, and then we took it over in two thousand four, and it was long gone. You know, we just kept the half. But uh, there have been two full distance uh, triathlons here from from Boulder. You can't go anywhere without Molina having his name stamped on the place, do they? Exactly. He owns everything. Yeah. I'll bet. You know what? I'll bet Molina comes back for this one. Oh, yeah. What do you think? He's got a busy schedule. If his, his if his legs stay in shape, he'll do anything. Um, yes. I, I guess uh, you know. There's been other news around the states going on, and yeah. um, you know, you got the Chicago ITU race. So, is it? You know, what what's sort of the feeling with with um, ITU racing in the states? I mean, Ironman seems to dominate. Uh, are many people interested in that or not? No, you know, you're absolutely right. Iron Man really does dominate um, here in the States. And unfortunately, you know, Jody and I watch every single race. Can't wait, you know, for the ones coming up. Uh, but but it's not nearly as popular as Iron Man. I, I, I hope Chicago, you know, we had the ITU World, Cham- uh, World Triathlon Series race in San Diego again this year. Mm-hmm. It was a terrific race. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, and Alistair uh, Brownlee won it handily. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, it just, just hasn't caught on yet. Hopefully the world championship in 2015 will be huge. Obviously Chicago is a major, major city, uh, has historically had one of the largest triathlons in the world there, the Chicago triathlon. And, you know, as, as, uh, as vice president of USA triathlon, I'm really excited about hosting it here and, um, you know, bringing the world to, to the States again. And we'll have the WTS race here in 2014, mm. uh, Chicago. Very, very well. you know, when, it, when we think about participation rates of, of distances in, in the sport in America, you know, is it what kind of, you know, when we think Olympic distance, maybe short course, and, you know, 70.3s and then the Ironman, where is the spread? Well, that's a, that's a good question. You know, I am seeing a dip. You know, the Ironman's so dominant with their races, and some of the smaller races are getting, getting impacted a bit. Uh, but, but I see sprints, you know, there are a lot more of them, but they're not as large. Okay. It just seems, you know, they're spreading themselves, spreading themselves pretty thin. Um, a lot of kids triathlons popping up. USA triathlon is trying to promote a lot of kids triathlons, bring youth into the sport, et cetera. Um, 
but I mean, it's it's growing. I mean, our membership in in USA Triathlon is over one hundred sixty thousand annual members, wow. and well over half a million members who have to you know get their one day license or whatever. So you know the numbers are certainly growing, but so are the number of races. So races that historically have had maybe fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred people might only have twelve or thirteen hundred now okay. uh, at the shorter distances. Obviously, the fulls and the are you know the the halves are filling up pretty nicely. Mm. Um, what was I going to say? But I guess um, yeah, any any news sort of on on hits how how all the hits and stuff's going? We obviously announce whenever races are coming up, but yeah, um, see, yeah how are things going on that front? Well, it was nice to see our uh, guy Paul Amy win a win an Ironman a couple of weeks ago. Which yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty amazing. Um, so that was good to see. You know, we've gotten some really nice support. Uh, it's definitely, I, I keep telling them they need to use the marketing, uh, cliche, the secret is out because they started, you know, really small and quiet and all of a sudden people like Dirk Bockel and, and Amy and, and others, uh, are using these as training races, test races, just a good training day. And we're getting a lot of higher level, um, athletes and the numbers are definitely increasing dramatically. I'd say they've doubled their numbers. They're still small, relatively mm-hmm. small. But but very consistent quality races that are getting you know getting some popularity, and it's nice here in the states just with all the choices, uh, you know whether it's Ironman, whether it's Rev Three, whether it's Hits, whether it's Lifetime, and Lifetime's going you know gangbuster and gobbling up races all over the place. I think we'll see some more acquisitions from them really soon. Mm. Uh, you know they're 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 going big. Cool, um, and I guess uh, the last sort of. Uh, topic we want to go over with you um, is la- on last week's Legends of Triathlon show, which we haven't even actually uh, done the interview for yet. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, yeah. We're, you're ahead of your time. We're here. It was, uh, we've got J- Jim Curl and Carl Thomas on there, and if people have listened to the interview already, they'll, they'll know a lot about them. But maybe just tell us, um, from your opinion, you know, what, what impact these guys had on the sport. They were the two guys that, that sort of set up the USAT Triathlon yeah. Series in the 80s. So maybe tell us a bit about them and... Um, and and you, well, your thoughts on yeah, them? Yeah, their their impact on the sport is absolutely legendary. Um, and I remember when you guys first started up your Legends of Triathlon. I think I suggested these guys' names very early on because, you know, when we have our Hall of Fame banquet every year in in the states for USA Triathlon, every inductee or most of the inductees tend to give some credit to Jim Curl or Carl Thomas yeah. because. You know, way back when, they they really, they're the first ones that brought money into this sport. And they brought big money into this sport. Um, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll talk to Curl about St. Croix. I mean, I always tell people, the first St. Croix, Mike Pig walked away with something like $60,000. Wow. Uh, back in the, you know, it was like 89, 88. Yeah. And so there was big money back then. It was on television here in the States. There's no triathlon on television now except for, you know, the Ironman, the one Kona race. Um, So they got television. They got Bud Light as their sponsor. uh, And they were – it was big time. They went for it, made it big. All the big four, you know, Scott, Scott, Molina, and and, uh, Alan raced all those races week after week. Um, They made it possible for people like Molina to race twice in a weekend and make money. Uh, so yeah, they, they, huge impact and, um, you know, definitely it'll be, a, it'll be a great interview. I, I'm looking forward to listening to it myself. 
I'm looking forward to doing it in yeah, about 45 same. minutes' time. Yep. Um, it, John, the only thing I did want to comment on, the only thing I'm disappointed in Boulder is they didn't give us more Ironman slots because I don't think we have enough Kona slots here in the States. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, <I don't. laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not. Don't, don't you just get one when you enter? My, my heart bleeds for you Americans. <laughs> it's so hard over there. Yeah. Life's tough. Yeah. Um, awesome, Barry. Um, it's always good to have you on the show. Yeah, and, you're a um, yeah, keep, keep in touch in terms of whenever any news comes out and you want to come on. We like to get the inside goss, especially on uh, all things Boulder. So thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. Good talking to you guys. All right, mate. Thanks. What do you think, Jobo? All good in the hood. It will be, should be a good race in Boulder. Uh, I do agree with you to, to an extent that how many, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if I agree with you. I'm going to be interested to see how many pros turn up at the start of August. Mm. Barry disagreed with me a little bit. He did. Yep. Yeah, but I think uh, I'm going to probably agree with you a bit more. I think oh, it's twice this week. More and more pros are going to try to, you know, the, the ones that are really wanting to nail Kona are going to probably, tr- well, they're well, going to try to qualify. What is the latest you feel that you could turn up, smack out of Ironman, not just turn up and race on, but actually blitz yourself and then be turning around and be great in Kona? Well, I think if, if, if Torsten can back, back me up on any stats, I think anybody that smacks an Ironman and goes full noise, maximum, absolute blast the pants off it, uh, all out near death experience Iron Man in the middle of the year has not won Kona. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to. How did Mecca win Mecca won it? Didn't he do pretty well in June? Well, it'd be interesting to actually, Torsten. Here's a little research project for you. You may have already done it. Has anybody won in a, a Northern Season Hemisphere race and then gone on to win Kona? Pete Jacobs, point in case. I'm saying he often doesn't go very well. Middle of the year, he's right for Kona. Crowy has been forced to do an Iron Man recently. Yeah, but he, he just has, turns up for those ones. Uh, no, not quite. Yeah, but I wouldn't say he doesn't not max out. It, yeah. But you know, if 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 Kona was the ultimate goal, I'd be uh, I'd be doing early season race and just ticking it off and just blinkers on, hundred percent focus on Kona. You know, if you once you're in Kona, yeah, sports a stupid sport because it's stupid because you're, you're one race a year. Yeah, but it's good and bad. Uh, Cycling's the same. To, no, to it's a degree. Not. No, you're cycling. You're, you're cycling. You're racing all the time. What matter? What? Well, yeah, no, you, you know, most triathletes are racing a reasonable amount, but what bike race matters outside of the Tour de France for most people? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, there are there are also other good races, lots of spring classics, but still, would you rather twenty spring classic titles or one Tour de France? Tour de France. Tour de France. Yeah. So, um, thank you, Barry, for all that. Um, yeah, Barry's great. Next up, we've got Sasha. I like Barry because he's got good energy. Yes. He's a nice guy. Yeah, and I've never met him, but I just feel he's a good guy. You met him online. Yeah, we're, we're, we're online friends. <laughs> uh, so next up, we've got Sasha from yogasync.tv, and we're going to talk a bit about relaxation and how to quieten your mind. Okay, here's Sasha. She's a good chick as well. We've got lots of good people on the show. We have. They are really great. Here we go. Okay, we've got the lovely Sasha back from uh, yoga. Our life is better when Sasha's on the show, John. Yoga sync. She just, she's got good, good energy. That's what yoga does for you. It does. It does. That's right. It certainly does. And you've, you've been off uh, doing a little bit of a, a yoga retreat by the sound of it. Yeah, it was actually a meditation retreat. There's a little Ooh. bit of yoga involved in it every day that I teach, but only 45 minutes and the rest is meditation. So it was a Zen meditation retreat. Where do you do that? In Otaki, just out of Wellington, Otaki's an hour's north <clears throat> drive of Wellington, it's up the Otaki Gorge, so it's just a little retreat centre up there. Oh, oh, nice. So that was one of the topic we were sort of going to talk a bit about today was um, was, was sort of how to relax the mind a bit because a lot of people automatically go into yoga and, and 
rightly or wrongly, you know, they're going there to improve their flexibility, but they often don't really think about them, the mental side of things. So, I mean, have you got some tips on, on, on I don't know, relaxation and, and how you can get the most out of relaxation and, and just, I don't know, yeah. keeping your mind a bit quieter. Because the thing, the thing for our, our athletes is there are no huge amount of stress. Mm. You know, they put themselves in physical stress, yeah. which, you know, which they kind of thrive for, but they're often high-level people as well who have quite stressful lives outside of sport as well. So, yes. you know, like, yes. I'm sure you come across that a lot in all aspects, but, you know, yes. what are some tricks that people can incorporate? Yeah, sure. Um, well, firstly... With relaxation, you know, the practice of um, conscious relaxation, first is to do it. You know, I know there can be a tendency, especially if you left, um, if you're at home doing your own practice, to sort of do your practice and then go, oh, you know what, I don't have time to do that relaxation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the first thing is to actually practice it. And then by practicing it, then you're able to take the things that you're learning in relaxation into the rest of your practice and into the rest of your life. And so the things, you know, in relaxation, consciously relaxing, one of the things I taught my students through is uh, to relax the eyes and to relax the jaws and to relax the tongue. Um, And on the platform, you know, talks you through that body, you know, relaxing those things. And um, just those points, you know, by practicing them consciously at the end of each practice, what you become more aware of when you're in your daily life and when your listeners are training is they'll become more aware of that. Am I tense? Are my jaws tense? Are my eyes tense? Is my throat tense? And, you know, bring their awareness to those things. And just by doing that, it helps you to be able to relax in in stressful situations. Mm, mm. Um, Because you you do, uh, people who haven't done yoga before, when you you finish a a session, it it always does finish with a period of relaxation, either having your legs up the wall or going into some sort of, uh, sometimes people go into headstands, but usually either lying on the ground with some support or or legs up the wall. And when you do finish it, I mean, um, you do feel quite revitalised, providing you don't fall asleep. Yes, yes. okay too if you do fall asleep then maybe that's what the body needs maybe that's an indication that you're actually quite tired but um yeah it is such a you know no matter where you go in the world to any yoga class or pretty much on any yoga website you will find that they will do a conscious relaxation at the end of every class because it is so important it's not something that we tend to do you know if we relax it will be tend to we'll still be doing something like reading Mm. a book or watching tv or sleeping you know which is good too but we don't often just lay and consciously relax the body. And there's a lot of, there's huge health benefits to that just in itself. Although we do find it challenging in our busy Western lives to just relax and do I, nothing. I, I, sorry. Um, it's interesting. I, um, I've meditated for, I, I meditate every day. I've done it for like 15 years. And, um, and it, I often talk to people because people always seem to be fascinated in the process of meditation. And, and I often talk describe it like running. Like when you first start running, if you've never ran, it just hurts. Not that meditation hurts, but you don't really get the buzz of running. It, it, you almost need to commit to running for six weeks. And then once you've kind of conditioned yourself to run, then you go, oh, I know why running is great. And I often think that meditation or relaxation techniques are a bit like that. At first, your mind's not very good at being still. And so you just think I'm doing it wrong. And so people don't, and you also don't really get the value of it straight away. And But if you can commit to doing it for a period of time, then like I would never live without it nowadays. But, you know, I had to have that first six weeks period. And I think that's definitely an important thing that people need to recognize as they're starting to add, add re, um, relaxation into their life. 
Yeah, I love that analogy. That's a great one. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> It'll only cost you $9.95 yeah. right? each time you use it. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks. Yeah, because it is that thing of, you, you know, with relaxation and with meditation, you don't often see the benefits straight away and it can be a challenge. You know, the mind wanders. That's what it does. It's constantly thinking and to be able to learn how to quieten it down and bring it back to the present moment takes practice like anything mm. else, yeah. So you, you talked about a couple of points there in terms of relaxing your tongue, relaxing you know, your face and your lips and all that sort of stuff. Any other things that you often ask people that, or suggest to people that if their mind might be racing on any things they can um, help to do just to calm their mind and just uh, just try to stop thought processing a little bit? Yeah, one of the things I do with my students at, at my home studio where I teach is, uh, you know, we, we get into relaxation, so we get our body set up, make sure we've got enough warm blankets and, and start to relax the body. And then inevitably, I know their mind will be wandering because mine does, you know, and it still does after years of relaxation and meditation. So just bring your awareness to that of is my mind, what you know, what am I thinking about? What is my mind turning over? Because it will be. And just bring yourself, oh, okay, I'm aware that I'm thinking and just letting that go and then just becoming present to uh, you know your body on the floor or wherever you're laying or the sounds around you just bring yourself back to the present moment because we tend to live our lives either in the past or the present in our mind whether we're aware of it or not and so it's just becoming aware of that and then being able to bring it back to the present moment just that constant coming back so um obviously if people go to yoga sync um dot tv and, and go through any practices then then that um <clears throat> the act of of quieting the mind and relaxation is going to be sort of pre-programmed in there but i'm interested for how long should people do you often do relaxation for at the end of a practice typically um the ones on the platform are anywhere between five and 15 minutes mm -hmm. i always say a minimum of five minutes it takes a while for the body to actually relax like once you're laying there you know it takes at least two or three minutes for the body to go okay this is what i'm doing i'm laying here oh, i can relax i'm not going to be asked to move and you know and then for your mind to be able to quieten down you know and there's um there's different stages so the longer that you stay there the more and more deeply relaxed you're going to become and that of course depends on how much time you've got mm. yeah but at least five minutes uh, between five and ten minutes you know which is practical for you know what you've got to fit in into your daily life i think one thing that's really cool about yoga sync and, and like I, I really can't recommend this stuff enough guys because especially you know like obviously for our bodies our physical as, as athletes you know we're pushing ourselves so there's the benefit of doing yoga but for the meditation stuff you know like I know for myself if I've got a big issue in my mind or something and then I sit down and I kind of meditate it's almost like it gets solved or my perspective on it changes in a way that's much more healthier and um, I know that again as I was saying earlier that a lot of us just have very stressful lives because of the way we set up our lives and often we like a challenge and so we kind of want that stress in a, in a positive way but if you can have a tool like a yoga to to help you do that then you find you just seem to be able to cope with things better and it's such a powerful thing yeah yeah definitely i've noticed that in my own life as well just being able to cope with things a little bit more because we make things you know bigger than what they are in our minds we create this whole big story and that mm. takes a lot of energy 
Yeah. So in, in terms of training and performance, I mean, I'm not sure how um, how athletic you are, Sasha, whether you're a hardcore athlete or, or not. But <laughs> I used to be. I'm not so much these days. I'm much more of a yogi. That's my practice. But I did used to be, you know, I used to be a gym instructor and aerobic instructor and do triathlons, actually. Oh, so so how do you think, um, well, in my opinion, I think that a lot of this uh, yoga stuff and, and meditation can, can really help with your, your sleep for one part, for people who are struggling with that in terms of calming down a bit but in terms of um training performance and so on i mean what's your thoughts on how this might transfer you know being being a bit calmer how that might transfer to actual training and racing well i mean this is my thoughts on it you know i'm not a you know i'm not a trainer anymore so these are just you know my experience of being a yoga teacher and meditation teacher and practitioner but you know when you're training what I know from reading books about training, what you guys call being in the zone, and you know we would call it being in a meditative state. So when when you're racing, say, and you're in the zone, you know you're feeling really good, you're really present, and things are flowing, and you know you're present to what you know. Okay, I'm feeling all his hill coming. What do I need to do about my running style? How do I need to change it? You're just gonna from your meditation practice that's gonna spill over into your racing and to your training, being able to be more present to the present mm-hmm. moment and noticing what's happening in your body and what you need to do about it. So you're more able to respond instead of react. That's one of the biggest things I think that meditation gives you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. People are constantly going through a race either worrying about what has happened and what hasn't gone well um, and then they're worrying about the rest of the race when they should actually be just respond to the now either be in the now or be in the very very short term future so so guys one of the cool things about yoga sync is if you go to the website they've actually you've got the yoga options and there's lots of cool options but they've also actually got some meditation options as well and if you just do a search for meditation they've got like you know lots of different options that you can choose and they tend to be from kind of 10 to 15, 20 minutes long. And uh, if you are looking for that kind of, to experience the meditation that's a bit guided, this is a good option. Mm. Yeah, the guided meditation is always really good for beginners who haven't done much meditation. It, it just it helps you because you, you are being guided throughout it instead of left to your own devices and watching your mind run crazy, which can be challenging for people. Yeah. So if guys want to sign up for, for Yoga Sync, what's the deal? It's yogasync.tv. Um, what's the deal and, and how do people sort of go about it and uh, monthly fees and all that sort of stuff? Uh, well, I think you guys have twisted our arm, haven't you? And given us, uh, yeah. we've given you a triple instead of 10 days, isn't it? A 30 days for a yep. dollar trial. Yep. Yep. And so how do they get the code off you? We've got the codes on our, on our website. If you go to imtalk.me, we've got the codes on there. And, and as Sasha's saying, it basically a $1 trial for, uh, for, for, for $30 and it gives you access. No, $1 for 30 days. 30 days, what yep. did I say? $30. $1 for $30. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good deal. $1 you give me. You can, yeah. um, and then you can go on there and basically and try, try, try yeah. it all out for, for a month and, um, and, and basically see what you think. Yeah, you've got nothing to lose for a dollar, you know, yep. to enhance your well-being and your training and recovery time. Yeah, so guys, go on there, yogasync.tv, and uh, if you do, a, if you also do a search for my name on there, there's about uh, four or five sinks that are coded under my name. I've done one of yours. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good little... Change my life. I'll have to do one of yours. Yeah, well, I gave uh, Al a bit of feedback in terms of stuff that, that I'd like to do, and uh, just a bit more repetition of stuff, and a bit more sort of hamstring-related and hip-opening. That's what I find is the most 
key for me. So, uh, yeah, get on there, check it out, and remember the promo codes are on uh, imtalk.me under promo codes. Awesome. Thanks for your time. Sasha, thanks again for coming on the show. No worries. Thank you, guys. See ya. See ya. Okay, Jumbo, that's uh, Sasha from Yugosink, and I do think there's, there's a lot to be said about learning how to... Quieten your mind. I really do think there's something oh, yeah. to that, yeah. People bloody go mental on the, the run course, you know, when the things start to unravel and the pressure really comes on, your mind can start doing all sorts of things and you just got to chill out, don't overcomplicate things, calm down, focus on what's in front of you or what you're doing at that time and push on. Uh, you know what, I'm going to share an experience here. Like, you, know, you guys know I've meditated for years, I've meditated since I was about 20 and... um. And what was really interesting, the earthquakes happened in Christchurch and my manager from Auckland rang afterwards and she rang all the instructors in Christchurch and just was, you know, just because she cared. And um, she, she rang us all. And then a few months later, she, I was caught up for her and she was saying, you know, it was really fascinating. And she'd just recently learned to meditate. Mm. She said, it was really interesting. You were the only person I rang and she said, oh, no, it's okay. Like, you know, and mm. she, you know, I do put that down to just that having that thing in my life that helps me be quite calm and relaxed and having that process each day that stops me and, and you know, it just helps you remove the stress of your life and I I, I'm gonna, I could always bleed on about this but I really think there's value and especially for you guys out there listening because I know that the, the majority of Ironmen, people have huge, we're doers. It's busy. Yeah, we do a lot and, you know, and then we do a sport that stresses us so much and in a great way, like it's a, it's a stress as they call it but um, at the same time it's... Might get a heart attack though. Yeah, oh yeah, this it's a tough world we live in. So I, I, you know, go to Yoga Sync or even if you don't want to go to those guys, you know, do try and find a way to do this stuff because it's definitely there's some real value in it. And, and like I was saying in that interview, commit to doing it for a month and then make your assessment on it. Yeah. And you know, because if you do it for one or two days, you just feel a bit lost. So, so you go to yogasync.tv. If you need the promo codes, you go to our website, look under our sponsors, and we've got all the promo codes for all the different companies that we're working with. And, uh, and hey, it's a dollar for a month. A dollar for a month. So. Okay, John, recipe of the week? No. What no, was no, that about? No, is, that no. just, is that your template, is it? It is my template. Okay. That's it. That's all I've got, Bevan. Okay. Uh, we've got another sponsor? No. Oh, good. We're done. We're done. Okay. Um, that's good. We're going to quickly wrap this one up. So just quickly, sponsors are... Coffees of Hawaii. Um, yes. Why, why did I do talk about Coffees of Hawaii? We, we didn't, didn't, we didn't do it No, we haven't really oh, done much this just week. that good. Yep, athlinks.com. Um, yes, get, join our club. Extreme Endurance. You've got your lactic, oh no, you've got your immune boost. Trainingpeaks.com. AJ thinks it's good, must be. And ECLS Try. Get some cool gear. Nice. So we know this week's show is a little bit different because we were just obviously we're not here, um, but we are back in the studios next week with a normal show. And uh, John, what are you up to this week? Uh, well, I'm not, not doing the show. Uh, it's just going to be hopefully. A regular do you love it when you're not doing the show, or do you just work more? Just work more. I'm going to be thirty. <laughs> oh, birthday. Birthday. Well, birthday was last Saturday. Uh, what do you do? You want anything for your birthday? Because I know I'm you. I'm, I'm a typical guy like you. Yeah, no. Belinda goes, do you want something? Oh, I'm all right. Yeah. I've got everything I need. Yeah. I've got your love, honey. I'm a needs shopper. Yeah. And so, but do you ever actually go, actually, honey? She's not, doesn't do surprises. So I just, we'll just do something. You, you figure it out. She doesn't like that. Does, does she actually give you, when you get the present, are you happy? Or yes, when she gives me a bit of loving. Oh, I wasn't even asking about that. I wasn't going down that path. You've got a duty mind, John Newsome. No, no, but do, do you ever surprise you and you go, oh, wow, actually, that's a great present? Uh, occasionally. What's the best present she's ever bought you? Uh, a pair of uh, brown knickers for her. Oh, nice. It's a, it's a gift that gives. <laughs> Keeps on giving, too. Keeps on giving. Oh, there we go. There we go.
Right, let's push on. Or you got anything exciting to say? I did have something exciting to say, but now I forgot because you started talking about browsing knickers. Mm. Um, quiet in the mind, Bevan. Quiet in the mind. Quiet in the mind. I'm off in Auckland. Mm-hmm. Do some aerobics. You're Australia, aren't you? Oh, I'll go to Auckland tomorrow. Okay. See that? There you <laughs> go. Do you know what really annoys me? Actually, I am going to have a rant. Ooh, ooh. I'm going to have a rant. Pen's been thrown. If there's one thing that doesn't quite in my mind, yeah. it's people who book my travel and give me stupid flights because it's cheaper. Yeah. So I'm arriving back from Australia tomorrow or mm-hmm. next week, depending on when you think we are. Midnight. All good. Doesn't matter. I knew I had to go to Auckland the next day. I don't have to start work at Auckland until lunchtime. Guess mm. what time my flight is, John? 6.30. 5.20. Oh, you're shitting me. Five, <laughs> Camp out of the... 5.20 in the morning. Camp out of the... Uh, and you, if you're getting a and shuttle I, out there, you've got to bloody leave at like 3. Well, no, because it's only Auckland. So it's yeah. only have to be there half an hour early. Yeah. So it'll leave about 4.30. Yeah. So I'll basically get home, lie down for two hours, and go back to the airport. Same. Poor form. Poor if, you, if you're the person who books people's flights, then I always, because oh, see, this is what yeah, I need to yeah. um, <laughs> Because the thing is, I always say when they go, can, can you come up and do this work? I say, yep, but get me on the latest flight in and the earliest flight out. Yeah. It's, you know, I want to be home as long as I can. Don't waste my time. The heads have got to roll, Bevan. Not heads happy. have got to roll. I communicate it and they still do it to me. It doesn't happen often nowadays because I complain. And I'm going to play. I didn't realise until yesterday. They're going to get the email. Get the email. Though, and I'm going to put, look, I'm quite calm because I've just meditated. Yeah. But can you please care for me? My screen's got a scratch over it from when I threw the pen at That's it. That's right. That's right. Don't worry. John will lick his finger and clean it for me. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Iron Rust. I mean, no. Train hard. Train smart. Kia Kia.